Well, good morning. Oh, wow. Responsive crowd. What Todd didn't tell you, by the way, Todd and Terry, congratulations on 25 years. That's terrific. What Todd didn't tell you is that I made a deal with him. I told him that if, if I did this, then he needed to preach on our 20th anniversary, which is coming up. Well, thanks for coming this morning. Uh, welcome to Melanie Park Church. I appreciate the opportunity to share some of what the Lord has shared with me in preparing for this message. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Carrie Gilbert. My wife, Sherry, and I have been a part of this local body uh, since 1990, 1999, last century. Um, it's hard to believe it's been 18 years. We have two kids, Kate and Corin. Um, many of you have helped us raise <laughs> three sentences Todd <clears throat> all right so many, many of you have helped us raise our kids and 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 many of you have uh, spoken truth into our marriage and um, we thank you for that four sentences we thank you for the investment that you've made in our family, the wisdom that you have collectively bestowed upon us as you have continually turned us to Scripture and the clear testimony of the Lord's love for us and the person and work of Jesus Christ. So whether you knew it or not, what you've done for us is disciple us in the same thing that Paul is doing for Timothy in our passage today. You've helped us be prepared for life, challenges, and persecution. You've given us a strategy for defense when the world attacks us. We appreciate your discipleship and your love, and we don't say thank you often enough. So to our church family, let me take the opportunity to say thank you. Well, over the past two months, Todd has been methodically walking us through Paul's second letter to Timothy, and as Todd typically does, he takes the passages line by line, verse by verse, and delivers a message that stays true to Scripture and is applicable to our life today. And as you recall, Paul's writing from prison, he's in Rome, and he knows that this will likely be his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, and like all good fathers... Paul desires for his son to be prepared for what's to come. So he writes the letter in order to encourage and provide instruction for Timothy. But before we get into our passage today, let's review what Todd's walked us through to this point. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul thanks Timothy, encourages him to be, be bold and proud of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sees Timothy and those that Timothy ministers to as the next generation of faith. Paul challenges Timothy to be unashamed and willing to suffer for the gospel of Christ. Paul clarifies that they are to remain faithful to the gospel and sound doctrine, standing strong in their faith. Chapter 2, Paul charges Timothy to be strong, to be a good soldier, always faithful, semper fi. That was Todd's title. 
to be someone who's willing to suffer for hardship for the Lord. Paul tells Timothy to remember Jesus Christ and warns Timothy not to be distracted by word fights. Paul encourages Timothy to maintain his character in the midst of confusion. Chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy of the peril of the last days where people will be lovers of self and directs Timothy to avoid such men as these. Paul describes these people as those who were always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So as we continue today in 2 Timothy, we'll cover chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Paul instructs young Timothy to be prepared. But prepared for what? Paul guides Timothy to be prepared for the persecution that will surely come his way. He provides a defensive, some may consider it an offensive plan for Timothy to follow in order to stand strong in his faith. Paul directs Timothy through the remainder of the letter to be prepared, stay focused, stay the course, and carry on the mission. As you may recall, in chapter 2, Paul tasks Timothy to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So let's think about that for a moment. What kind of commanding officer would send his company into battle without having them prepared, without the proper tools, without the proper survival gear, without the proper training? The answer is he'd be a lousy commanding officer. But Paul doesn't do that. He sends Timothy into battle prepared. Now, I was never enlisted in the military, but I have tremendous respect for those that are serving have served, or have given their lives for our freedoms. The closest I got was Eagle Scout, and be prepared was the motto of the Boy Scouts. It's a motto that served me well across varying camping, hiking, and family trips as I packed way more than I needed to. But you know what? I had it just in case. But as I've grown older, I've begun to realize that be prepared is as much a mindset as it is a set of gadgets or tools to help with a job. You see, as a scout, it was always having your knife. It was always having your shovel. It was always having something. But as I've grown older, I understand that being prepared is really more of a mindset than anything. If I have a mindset and know that what I'm about to enter into is going to be difficult, I'm more able to tolerate that than if I move into it with, just blind thought of, okay, well, what's next? And as I've grown older, I've understood that that mindset is really perhaps what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. Be aware, young Timothy, of what's ahead. Being prepared has as much to do with mental and emotional preparation as it does physical preparation. That's why I believe that chapters 2 and 3 of 2 Timothy deal so directly with setting one's mind straight and placing our focus on the Lord. Knowing what to expect, setting our minds on what's ahead, and our determination to overcome are all important parts of being prepared. And Paul wants to prepare Timothy for the challenges that are coming. So before we open God's word together, please pray with me. Father, we are thankful for the blessings that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come here today in a free country with the ability to gather together in your name. 
And Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us the clear picture of the, the gospel, salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the body of Christ, where we can gather together and love one another as you've called us to. We thank you for the scriptures that you've given us that give us the truth. And Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals these things to us. So Father, today as we open your word, I pray that you would give us great uh, clarity and thought that we would take away from this what you would have us learn. Lord, again, we love you. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Well, if you have your Bibles today, uh, open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and follow with me as I read along through verse 17. Now you, Timothy, followed my, Paul, teaching, my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. So, as we begin, Paul reminds Timothy of the past. He makes Timothy a promise. He gives Timothy a warning for the future. And he also gives Timothy the tools to be prepared. So, Paul reminds Timothy of the past. If we look back at verses 10 and 11, he says... Now you, Timothy, followed my, Paul, teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Well, let's take a look at each of those as we move forward. Teaching. Paul taught Timothy. I think this one goes really without saying, but it was important enough for Paul to remind Timothy, hey, follow my teaching. I've taught you. But when we think of teaching, we tend to think of this type of teaching or Sunday school teaching or lecture to student type teaching. And I don't believe this is all that Paul offered Timothy. I believe that this teaching was the message of the gospel, but it wasn't simply, again, the lecture to student type. Timothy watched Paul as he loved people. He watched as he was persecuted. And ultimately, Paul taught by example. Paul taught Timothy. Conduct. Paul's conduct was an example to Timothy, the way he dealt with conflict, staying focused on the gospel and the love of Christ. Purpose. Paul's purpose was clear. He lived for Christ and to tell others about Christ, to tell them the good news of the gospel. And Timothy was to follow and adopt this purpose. Faith. Paul's faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ was unwavering. Timothy's faith would need to be unyielding if he was to shepherd well. 
patience. Paul was patient, wanting all to hear the gospel, and Timothy's patience would be tested. Love. Paul loved deeply the way Christ loved, sacrificially. The gospel taught him to love. And Timothy would need to love deeply as well. Perseverance or endurance. Paul persevered for the gospel. He endured to tell people the good news of gospel, of the gospel. Timothy would need endurance as well. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. 2 Timothy 2.12 goes on to say, If we endure, we will also reign with him. And I'm not sure that you caught it, but notice that each of these things in Paul's life, whether it be teaching or conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, or perseverance, each of those in Paul's life was centered on the gospel. Paul lived and died for the gospel, and Timothy needed to be prepared to do the same thing. He goes on to talk about his persecutions and suffering. Paul was persecuted and suffered for the gospel, and Timothy would too. Paul says, such has happened to me at, and then he lists a few places. He lists um, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And you might recall that these are portions of his first missionary journey, and some of that turned out really well, and some of it was pretty tough. And you can only imagine that as Timothy thinks back to these stories about hearing about Paul's persecution and stoning, his beatings, that it would have elicited a kind of a visceral response to Timothy. As you recall, if you want to, you can turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 13. So as you recall, the Holy Spirit sets apart in chapter 13 Paul and Barnabas. John Mark joins them as they leave the church at Antioch, north of Jerusalem in the region of Syria, and they sail to the island of Cyprus and then on to land at Perga. From Perga, Paul and Barnabas travel ahead to Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, and Lystra. And Scripture tells us in each of these cities, Paul and Barnabas enter the synagogue to share the good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet in each town they are kicked out of the synagogue and eventually persecuted and run out of the city altogether. Now, what I'd love to do is spend the next 30 minutes just reading chapters 13 and 14, but I'm not going to do that. But if you take a look at, um, at uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions put out from, uh, to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said. And what Paul goes on to do is in his exhortation, he reminds the people in the synagogue about Egypt. He reminds them about their, the time of the Israelites in the wilderness. He gives them recollection of the period of Judges 
and kings. He talks about Saul and of David. He links Jesus to David. He calls Jesus as the Savior. He reminds them of uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Explains that as Jesus was resurrected, that he walked around and spoke to people. And in fact, he has... Uh, he, is, he arose and spoke to Paul. And ultimately, as they continue, they, um, Paul gives them the gospel message. In verse 32, it says, We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled his promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm. And then Paul goes and, and gives reference to Old Testament passages that each of these people in the synagogue would have known. And then in verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And as you continue reading, you learn later in verse um, 45, the next day, the, the 44 rather, the next day, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Essentially, the rest of that portion of the story is that they, uh, the pressure gets, gets great enough that they leave and go to Iconium. They teach in the synagogue again, likely the same message. They're persecuted, and they leave for Lystra. They go to Lystra, and before they can begin to heal, or before they can, can begin to teach, Paul come, and Barnabas come upon a man who uh, was lame from birth. Paul heals him, and suddenly the people in the area begin talking to, uh, they begin calling Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes, meaning Greek gods. They think that the Greek gods have come down. Well, this is not okay with Paul and Barnabas, and they refute that. But ultimately, as the, they continue, um, the story gets bad in, in um, verse 19 of chapter 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. What? He went back to the city? The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So, what ends up happening is, is that as they go through these cities, the persecution is getting greater and greater in each place that they, they go. They end up going to a few other places and then go back through um, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And it says in verse 23 of chapter 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they, uh, they move back through these cities and then they head back to Jerusalem. You think, well, so great. Why, why is that so important? Well, let's think about it. What's the purpose of Paul's message? Paul's message is, Timothy, understand. You know what we've been through. You've seen it. I, I was stoned in your hometown of Lystra. And so Paul wants Timothy to understand what, he's, what lies ahead. Now, Paul didn't apparently meet uh, Timothy in that first missionary journey, but instead on his second time through, Lystra. Um, by that time, uh, Timothy had apparently come to faith. 
Um, he's talked about as a believer. You might remember that his mother was Jewish and his father was a Greek, but the text indicates that Timothy had put his faith in Christ before Paul met him, calling Timothy a disciple. And ultimately, Timothy was spoken well of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. Timothy joins Paul and travels with him through, throughout, uh, sharing the outcome of the Jerusalem Council, which is in Acts 15, which is part of the reason for Paul's second missionary journey. But again, the persecutions that I, Paul, as it says, endured, he gives credit to the Lord. The Lord rescued me. Paul's clear that it was the Lord who rescued him from persecution. He does not tout his own strength or his own perseverance, but clarifies for Timothy that the Lord protected and healed him. So Paul makes a promise from this point on. He says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy, don't forget what happened to me, and let me promise you that it will happen to you. That doesn't sound like a very good promise, but it's an honest one. It was important that Timothy, and for all Christians, to realize that persecution awaits anyone who wishes to live a godly life in Christ. Now, if you flip over to John 15, 18 through 21, listen to the words of Jesus, John 15, 18 to 21. Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me first, or excuse me, hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So again, Paul is clear with Timothy. Listen, this is not going to be easy. Now, in discussions with my good friend Todd this week, Todd really suggests that verse 12 is a much-needed reminder for our culture who's looking to take ease, and I would agree with that. We're strangers and aliens. We don't belong to the world, and we're different. This world's not our own, and when we are faithfully following Christ in a sin-cursed world, we're going to be persecuted. Well, Paul continues with a warning of the future. Verse 13 it says, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, verse 13 is really a follow-up to the passage that Todd did last Sunday. It's not a new topic, but it's uh, Paul simply revisiting what he spoke to in detail at the beginning of the chapter. Specifically, that in these last days, men will be lovers of self, holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul instructs Timothy to avoid such men as these. But then Paul provides Timothy with the tools that he needs to be prepared. He's given him a reminder of the past. He's given him uh, a promise of persecution, a warning of the future, that it's going to get worse. But then Paul gives him the tools necessary to be prepared. Verse 14 and 15 say, say You, however, Timothy... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, 
and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So here's the solution to the warning. Be prepared, Timothy. Continue in the things you've learned and been convinced of. Now, the last time I had a chance to speak with you, I shared some things out of Hebrews that we were learning as the young couples class had finished uh, our study of Hebrews. And really, the tools that Paul is offering to Timothy are very consistent with the message that the writer of Hebrews is offering to, um, to the, the Hebrews. In Hebrew, the Hebrews passages say, don't drift away. Don't drift away from the things you've been taught and believed. Hebrews 2.1, pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Don't stop believing. Sounds like a journey song. Don't stop believing the things that you have been taught and believed. Hebrews 3.19, the writer says that they, the Israelites, were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Don't fall away from the things you've been taught and believed. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, don't be one of the ones that after hearing and understanding the truth falls away and back into useless tradition. Instead, the writer says, take hold of the hope set before us. Hebrews 4, 19, 20, this hope that we have is an anchor for our soul and a hope both sure and steadfast. Instead, we're to hold fast to the things that you've been taught and believed. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, the confession of our hope leads us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. So if we're going to be prepared for what's to come, we have to stay committed to what we've put our trust in. If we look back at verse 15, it says, From childhood you have known the sacred writings or scripture, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, these verses would indicate that Timothy's salvation occurred prior to his acquaintance with Paul. The introductions to First and Second Timothy both allude to them. So the tools that he's giving him, that, that Paul is offering to Timothy, are pretty simple. Be confident in Christ and the message of salvation. Be confident in the fact that the testimony that I, in this case Paul, has offered is true. It's the same message to the Hebrews. And also, number two, be confident in the sacred writings, the Old Testament. It's interesting that Paul doesn't elevate one over the other. He puts them on the same plane, encouraging Timothy to take complete confidence in both sources so that he would not slip in his commitment to the truth, that he wouldn't drift away, but instead hold fast. And ultimately, the scriptures bring salvation only when one places his faith in Christ Jesus. Well, verses 16 and 17 are familiar to most of us, but they say, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, Paul wanted to re-emphasize clearly the role of God's Word in Timothy's ministry. And before he clarifies how they can be used in his ministry, he explains that God's words were given through men 
by the Holy Spirit, so their writings would be without error. Then Paul goes on to explain the usefulness of the word. Note that this is consistent with last week's message, where learning and knowledge of Scripture doesn't do us much good unless it influences and directs our lives. Learning for learning's sake is not productive. It's not honoring to the Lord, and it leads to a form of godliness that's void of power. So let's talk about each of these. Teaching. Instructing believers in God's truths. Basic instruction in what, good, what is good and right according to Scripture. Now, let me do this before I go too much farther. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If you spent much time around Melanie Park Church, these are, the, some of the, these are some of the things that we're committed to. Teaching, right? If you look around, taught from the, the pulpit every Sunday is the truth of Scripture. Adult Bible fellowships are led by uh, those who are committed to Scripture, sharing the truth. The student ministry, uh, Bruce does a great job of sharing truth, and all the leaders do a great job of sharing truth. The children's ministry, same thing. And then home groups. Our small groups are the place where truth becomes very real for individuals, and that's why we put so much emphasis on uh, people getting involved to the level of individual small groups. So teaching, instructing believers in God's truth, basic instruction in what is good and right according to Scripture. One of the challenges we have in a Bible church is that we know our stuff so well sometimes that it somehow doesn't take hold in the sense of really guiding us in our daily walk. I know that's true for me. I know a lot, but sometimes I don't always follow what I know. Well, let's talk about reproof and rebuking. Rebuking those in sin and rebuking the wrong choice. It may be the wrong use of the wrong thing, and really I believe that the focus here is the motivation of the heart. There are several passages. If you want to jot them down, you can. Matthew 18, 15 to 20 talks about Reproving and rebuking. Galatians 6 1. Titus 2 15. And 2 Timothy 4 2, which we'll get to next week. It says, Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So it's clear that reproving and rebuking is something that we're called to in Scripture. But we tend to skip over that last part about with great patience and instruction, don't we? We just want to tell the truth and accuse and move on, and I've done my job, and now it's the elder's problem, right? That's a joke. But, but what's, let's be serious. What's the heart here? The heart here is of patience and instruction and gentleness. To what end? What's the point? Well, the point is to lead us to a place of reconciliation. And if we're not reproving or rebuking with the heart that's patient leading us to reconciliation, then we've missed the message that Christ offered. He wanted all to come to faith. He wanted all to be reconciled. What about correction? Correction is those in error. We are to correct the wrong use of the right thing. In the previous example, those were activities where the motivation of the heart was uh, was negative, it was off. But in this case, perhaps correction is the wrong use of the right thing. Perhaps the intentions are good, but we're just confused. We're using the wrong information. Maybe it's a doctrinal 
uh, issue or something that, that we're not quite communicating correctly or that's true according to Scripture. And perhaps the use of maybe a, the best example would be, and I know nobody else in the room's done this, but perhaps the use of a crescent wrench as a hammer. They're both tools, they're both useful, but maybe they're not really designed for what we've used them for. Now, I'm probably the only one in the room that's used a crescent wrench as a hammer. Maybe not. So, again, 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And then again, we just read 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So again, as we correct, what's the demeanor? The demeanor here is gentleness and patience. Training in righteousness is guiding new believers in God's ways, the consistent application of the right thing in the right way. It's a true picture of discipleship. It starts in the home. In order to be prepared, we must know what is true in order to defend against deception. For all these and more, the Word of God is profitable. Hebrews 4, 11 through 12 tell us to let us be diligent to enter that rest, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let's talk about what all Scripture means. Turn with me to 2 Peter 3, 14. Second Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just, also, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which in which are some of the things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, it's a relatively long verse, but let's look at a, one specific area. If you look at verse 16, it says, uh, well, let's go back to 15. It talks about Paul writing letters, as also in all his letters. And then if you skip a little bit, it says, the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture. As they do also, the rest of Scripture is referring back to the letters that Paul has written. And so what Peter is doing in this section is suggesting, stating that the letters that Paul has written are to be considered as the same as Scripture. It's interesting, too, that in that same passage, Peter continues pleading with the believers or the brethren, telling them to be prepared. He says, be on guard 
Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the point is, is that the whole book, not just the left side, is considered Scripture. And Paul is telling Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So why does it matter that we're prepared and committed to the gospel? Really, the answer comes in our text in chapter, no, sorry, in verse 17. It says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. With the word of God, the man of God, one who must provide spiritual leadership to others, is equipped or prepared to do every good work. Paul's already described every good work earlier in the text, and it seems to be consistent with the picture that we see in Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Have you ever thought about the fact that we don't have to work hard to find the good works that God prepared beforehand? He set them up for us to walk through them. Paul's guidance to Timothy here is to stay committed to the things that he believed from Scripture and from his testimony and to let Scripture inform and guide his action by the Holy Spirit. Paul knew from experience that God would provide all of Timothy's needs through the Word. So as we wrap up, Paul at the end of his life is telling Timothy and now us that we should be encouraged because we have the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We should learn from history, setting our mind to persevere. But we need, as Timothy did, we need to remember. Those who desire to live godly lives will endure hardship. It's a promise. And we've all probably experienced to some degree. Knowing that it's coming helps us to set our mind to prepare and endure. Things are going to get worse in this world. Paul's warning is relevant today, and again, we need to set our mind and prepare ahead of time and determine how we will respond to persecution, ridicule, and jesting. We are to respond with gentleness. Remember 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be prepared for persecution by remaining committed to the truth of the gospel. The tools Paul gave to Timothy have been given to us. The testimony of the gospel and the holy scriptures. We've heard Paul's testimony and of others and the testimony of scripture that both point to salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. We must stay committed to Scripture, knowing that it's a good for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate or prepared, equipped for every good work. Paul will go on through the remainder of the letter to charge Timothy and us to, in essence, stay focused, stay the course, and carry on the mission. What mission? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go and make disciples. So as we go through the coming week, let's ask ourselves, are we prepared for what's ahead? 
Do we have the right tools? Are we prepared to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand? Our preparedness lies in our commitment to the gospel and the truth of Scripture. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Son, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that your promise was fulfilled. Lord, we thank you that by our faith and trust in him and the work on the cross, that our relationship with you can be restored. Lord, help us to understand as we continue through this world that um, things are not always going to be easy, but that you've provided for us in your word and through example the solution. The solution has always been your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace the gospel message, that we would be bold, that we would use scripture in the way that you've intended it, that we would be gentle as we rebuke and correct, and that we would be disciplined to disciple those around us. Lord, for me as a parent, I pray and ask that you would give me the wisdom to continue to disciple my kids. And uh, Father, we thank you that through the grace and mercy of your son, we can be in a place like Melanie Park Church where that happens uh, on a weekly basis. So Father, we love you. We thank you for the message today, the gift of your word. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.